This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from Season 3, Episode 47. Our look at what might be the big stories of the next 6 to 12 months in Nashville. Plus, from the vault, a section from September 2021, which looked at the implications of the then-newly-approved ELF test by FDA. This conversation focuses on the exciting data we anticipate for multiple different drugs and the implications positive drug trials and eventual approvals will have for Nash treatment. I begin by discussing the educational work Intercept Pharmaceuticals was beginning before abutacolic acid received its complete response letter in 2020. And I underline the logic that doctors will want to learn how to treat when they have a way to achieve results. Yorn expresses specific enthusiasm about the future of FGF21s as suggested by the recent Acaro Pharmaceuticals Phase 2B results with Fruxifermin. I extend that thought to suggest that with promising data and or approvals on the horizon for four different modes of action, the ideas of combination therapy and disease regression or resolution become real for most physicians for the first time. Louise agrees about the promise of the medications, but expresses strong concern that the diagnostic and patient management structures will not be in place before the drugs arrive, which will slow our ability to bring these benefits to patients. We're heading into an exciting time in Nashville. For example, our episode next week discusses four recent press releases from companies with promising clinical trial results. Today's conversation blends the excitement about those kinds of upcoming advances in drugs and diagnostics with questions about whether the underlying structure exists to take advantage of the new technologies as they evolve. It raises as many questions as it answers, if not more. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. A bolus of positive data will change how people think about what's coming. You know, I remember that before betacolic acid got their complete response letter in 2020, that they were starting to do education at lots of major meetings. But their education was mostly on bridging fibrosis and cirrhosis. We probably want to think about catching people earlier. If we're going to get two or three drugs with different profiles in terms of where their benefits are in metabolic disease and their level and nature of toxicity, then I think that's right. We'll have a lot more motivation to test because we can do something about it. All these doctors now say, why am I testing? I can't do anything because they figure diet and exercise fails nine times out of 10 and they don't want that level of futility with nothing behind it. Well, now they have something they can do, right? So I agree that that's right. I'll tell you, and I mentioned this is my big feature. I was heartened by the amount of money that Acara went out for. That's a big number. And it's a big enough number that says they believe that in addition to the excellence in their data, there's enough optimism coming from other other places that makes their data more credible. If you show up with one amazingly pretty flower in a, in a garden of weeds, the flower gets lost and people wonder whether it's an optical illusion or whether the weeds will kill it. If you show up with a gorgeous flower in a garden of pretty flowers, it's a lot more credible and a lot more distinguishable at the same time. So I, I take the Caro number to some degree as a sense of optimism about drug development in general, not just for that one product. And if that's the case, then uh, energy will start to mount pretty dramatically. Jarn Schottenberg. Class of drugs, and uh, I would hope we'll find some time to discuss this in a future podcast. You mentioned that we'll have an episode potentially on that. It's really reviving them. FGF21s is, is very exciting from a metabolic and hepatologic perspective. And there's not only a cure, there's also other compounds in development. And as, as such, I think that's really an exciting molecule class. You know, it brings us more to the, um, of course, intensified treatments with sub-Q and application issues, but it will help us to focus 
potentially on the more advanced population. You know, you're, one of the exciting things, right, is that we're looking at three pretty good trials for three very different modes of action. The altimmune numbers are extremely encouraging, and those, those are triple agonists. That's a triple agonist or dual agonist. They work in very different ways. And then if you take the Poxel result and you add that to what we see from Lanafibrinor, you see the PPAR as being a way to go also. And all of a sudden, we've got three different mode of action pathways without even thinking about FXR. So that would make four, I guess, with a beta-colic acid. You have four different mode of action pathways that seem capable of making a contribution. So ideas like combination drug therapy, matching the right drug to the right patient, all those things become realistic and promising. That, I think, is is far more than anybody would have hoped for six months ago. Yes, no, maybe so. You aren't smiling. Louise is nodding. Either one of you jump in. Louise Campbell. I think you're right. We're already behind the curve because those drugs are going to be approved in a timeline in, say, the next 18 months to two and a half years, maybe three years, probably at least one, if not two of them. The trouble is we won't have identified those patients by then who are going to be eligible for their drugs because, as you alluded to earlier, by teaching people early, you find the right patient. We've not even started to implement the pathways for locating these patients for these expensive drugs. So when they're approved, we don't have the patients identified who have jumped through the hoops, who have met the criteria other than a biopsy. Before somebody pays for a drug, they're going to want a patient to have had X, Y and Z achieved before. That is just the nature of pathways. We're not starting to educate our nursing teams. We're not educating the patients. If we look at it, there should be key performance indicators in now as to how many of your patients get to lose weight. There was a very interesting discussion at Dublin, I think, I've seen so many, on bariatric surgery. And the discussion was of defattening the liver before you go to bariatric surgery to reduce the liver size. So therefore, the biopsy taken at bariatric surgery is not reflective of the liver as was in that patient. It is only reflective of the liver at the time. And how does that really equate to the data and the outcomes that we get? So it is that whole scenario of we're not quite there yet. We're not joining the pieces. The foundation is not there to build the structure on. And as we know, and and Jean's commented before, patients fall out of the pathway if we do not get these foundations right now. And Nash and Naffold are in a perfect position to really, really be able to nail this foundation of multimorbidity care, how we select patients, what care they need, because we've got reams of data and they were both discussed again at this meeting on lifestyle outcomes, how we can help with that, how we can help with diet, which diet works. Any diet works as long as it's the right diet for that patient, although some have better evidence than others. So these things we really, really can be doing. What we don't have is healthcare providers and investors who are prepared to put that foundation in until we do get this expensive drug, which means we don't have the patient portfolio. We're not identifying patients for trials in two or three years' time because we're so far behind with COVID. So there is a lot of things that we can't do when, excitingly, these drugs get approved. We're so far behind in where we need to be because we're not identifying the processes to select the right patients or to make sure we have the right patient ready to say, right, first wave of drug, this is suitable for you. We suggest Mrs. Smith, Mr. Bloggs, you wait for the second phase because this would be more in keeping because we already have them. We're not there. And that to me is what gets, I take away from some of these meetings. I love the science. I love the data. I love the enthusiasm, but I'm scared at the lack of preparation that we've got in place for being able to approve these drugs. So you aren't, first of all, 
Luis, not to disagree, but I want to move back to kind of where the platform was a moment ago. So you were in the drugs. You mentioned FGF 21. I threw a little broader and said three or four exciting classes. Is there something particular about FGF 21 that makes that class more exciting than others or unique compared to others? Or do you see the view that I took, which is, well, you got these four things coming at once collectively that's more exciting than any individually. Would would you would you land there? Yeah, it's, of course, difficult to compare if they're in different uh, development stages of their life. And you've had a press release from a phase two result, which is, of course, one thing you got to keep in mind when interpreting that data. But the FGFs have shown beneficial metabolic effects, no adverse lipid profiles, which we've seen with some other drugs. And they've shown some robust impact on fibrosis regression and NASH resolution if you go by these press releases. Now, some of the earlier data was that same way, and, and, and it's difficult, again, to play with the numbers that are released in the press release. So I'm very much looking forward to the data set being presented, but the numbers read very well. In particular, you do get responses in terms of uh, NASH resolution and fibrosis regression. So a lot of drugs only had one of those endpoints. Now in phase two, we've seen that once or twice, and uh, that's just going the right direction. I'm seeing, you know, with the incremental data, we're seeing it's more and more robustly hitting those endpoints we've agreed with as surrogates for conditional approval. And I'm just optimistic that the way forward here is going to be met by one of them. And the, and the other thing, well, I've been thinking about a lot. The ASLD late-breaking deadline has passed 10 days ago or so, and I think some of the very exciting data has already been put into the system and won't take much longer to actually be presented. So that's also something I'm very much looking forward to because ASLD is not that far advanced that the late-breaking session should be very exciting this this year. Yeah, that's my understanding as well. I've heard comment that it's conceivable that you could see as many three, four, five late-breakers at ASLD if we had the bandwidth. That would wind up being oral presentations about compelling later stage data for different kinds of NASH drugs. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen, but I've heard that that's a possibility and that would be amazing. So, Crystal Ball, this. Assume that the data, Yorn, from ASLD is as robust on the drugs as we're hoping it might be. Put on your public policy hat, go back to Barcelona, and tell me what changes in the clinical care pathway discussion or the globalization discussion when it, when the drugs become more real. I think a bottleneck is going to be the prescribers. Who has the knowledge or the who has the willingness to prescribe these drugs that are new? There's no approved previously. And you need to interpret the test in a way that you're certain that you prescribe in label. So we need a lot of people that are really dealing with that. It's not going to be an endocrinologist prescribing a drug that's newly approved with a high price tag to it. I think a bottleneck in those patients care pathways is going to be the prescribers at the beginning. Then rolling this out, building real-world data, phase four observational studies, we'll get more and more information. That's what we've seen with example for hep C, where in the beginning there was a certain, you know, oh, this is new. How do I deal with this? What is the right patient? Well, we only want to select the ones that are advanced and have certain comorbidities potentially. And those aspects will have to be dealt with in the referral pathways. On the other hand, I think hepatologists are ready. We've been there before and we can educate a large group of gastros that might support in treating these patients. So the, the patient pathways is going to be empowerment of prescribers. Then. I've said previously in this episode. And now back to Roger. 
We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back next week to discuss exciting advances in drug development as highlighted by recent press releases from Acaro, Poxel, Altimmune, and Accela. In the meantime, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. We'll be right back.